0: Well, we are back in the Gospel of Mark this morning. We've had a several-month hiatus as we looked at a couple other sermon series. But I want to return because there are so many important truths from the life of Jesus Christ that we can't but help uh, investigate and look at together. If you remember, we said at the very outset of this series, back in the winter, that, uh, that Mark was written to a predominantly... Gentile audience, that Mark focuses mostly, uh, much more on the actions of Jesus than his long teachings. But this passage here today is an exception. This is going to be one of the longer teachings of Jesus that you would find in the book of Mark. And we're going to chop it up and look at half of it today, kind of set the background, and the next time that we're together, we'll look at the second part of it. The title of today's message is When Tradition Turns Toxic. When Tradition Turns Toxic. As I read the passage this week, immediately a song came to mind. I will not sing it for you. (laughs) How many here have ever seen the movie Fiddler on the Roof? It's a great musical. And if you've seen it, you know why it came to mind this week. The word tradition. And I was going to try to read this in Tevye's accent, but I think I would butcher that as well. Right at the beginning of the movie, the main character, Tevye, has a a monologue. And in the middle of the song, Tradition, he says this, Because of our traditions, we've kept our balance for many, many years. Here in Anatevka, we have traditions for everything. How to eat, how to sleep, how to work, even how to wear clothes. For instance, we always keep our heads covered and always wear a little prayer shawl. This shows our constant devotion to God. You may ask, how did this tradition start? I will tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. As I recalled that line, those lines from that movie, I realized that it captured perfectly what's going on here in Mark chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, please follow along. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. this people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the, to, the, to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles a... Father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father and mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. And many such things you do. Jesus here finds himself at odds with the Pharisees and the scribes because He and the disciples, in particular the disciples, are not holding to their traditions. Now, traditions are not necessarily a bad thing. We all have wonderful traditions that we treasure and love. Think holidays. Some of you may have annual traditions, places you go, a certain person's house, and you can even right now maybe think of smells and and things that take place on those days that are special. That are near and dear to your heart. You, everyone cooks a certain dish, and everyone does. You know, we always, as, as kids, we always would 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 after we had a a big Thanksgiving dinner and our food settled a little bit, we'd always go out and play football. That was a tradition. Think about weddings. There are some beautiful traditions with weddings. The, the way that the service is structured and. Who wears what the, the rings that we give one another as a symbol or a sign of our commitment to one another there, there are beautiful traditions. traditions are not necessarily bad things, even in scriptures, even in the scripture, the apostle Paul said several times that he had passed down traditions that he wanted the people to hold to because they they coincided with the word of God in first corinthians eleven two he says "Now I commend." I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. Tradition is in and of itself not necessarily a bad thing, but when they take the place or are elevated to the place of the Word of God, that's where the problems come in. Someone once said, tradition is the living faith of the dead, but traditionalism is is the dead faith of the living. And that's where the Pharisees find themselves here in this passage. As people who hold on to traditions, exalting them to the Word of God and bringing about a dead faith. And so if you're filling in the blanks, the first thought here is the tradition of the Pharisees. That's what we see in the first five verses. We kind of see the backdrop for the passage it tells us in verse 1 that the Pharisees gathered to him and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. We're not really told if, if these guys are sitting in wait, looking for Jesus to do something that they can pounce on him, but that's the feeling you get. The scribes came up from Jerusalem. It doesn't say why they would be up north in Galilee when they're based down in Jerusalem. They may have had to travel for other business purposes, but it, it, you get the feeling that they're just watching and waiting for something to pounce on. And we know that in other passages, that's exactly what they do. You remember that Jesus has just finished, you probably don't remember because it was months ago that we talked about this, but Jesus had just fed the 5,000, 5,000 plus. He had just finished walking on the water right after that miracle, and he's still in the region of Gennesaret, there along the Sea of Galilee. And these Pharisees notice that as the disciples sit down to eat, they don't go through a ritual hand-cleansing. This is not for hygienic purposes. Like when I tell my kids before we get to the dinner table, they come in and their hands are just grubby and filthy. And I know that they've been playing in places that I don't want to know about. And so uh, we tell them, you need to go wash your hands and use soap and scrub really good before you come to the table. That's not what this is. This was a ritual, a symbolic cleansing. And they notice that the disciples did not do it. But ultimately, their problem is with Jesus. That's why they didn't talk to the disciples. They're looking for Jesus. They want to trip up Jesus. If they had an issue with the disciples, they would have talked to the disciples. Their ultimate problem was with Jesus, and that He didn't walk in, the, in, the, in step with what they wanted Him to do. Now, there were, to be fair, many commandments about ritual purity in the Old Testament ceremonial law. There were things that brought defilement, and there were prescriptions in Leviticus and in, in, in the in the in the Pentateuch for the process that people had to go through. For example, if they touched a, a, a carcass of an unclean animal, uh, if they ate food that was unclean, uh, defilement could occur. If you had uh, consulted a medium or a wizard, according to Leviticus 19, and uh, um, a number of other actions were were prohibited. And if you did them, or if if you came into contact with certain things, there were ritual purity uh, uh, ceremonies that you had to go through. But what the Pharisees were talking about in this situation were traditions that had been added over top of the Word of God. It was more than what was prescribed. That's why verse 4 says, there are many other traditions you observe. They would wash the cups in the pots, in the copper vessels, in the dining couches, it said. Everything, they had, they had a certain prescription and a procedure for everything. Everything had a process. You see, over time, you see, they had the Word of God. They had the Law of Moses. They had the Scriptures. But just imagine. Think about a, a command. For example, the Sabbath day. The command was remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy and you shall don't do no work on that day. Now, maybe, maybe you're built this way. I, I grew up in a church environment like this and so I, I can totally understand their thinking. You want to know, what does it mean not to do any work? What does it mean that I'm not supposed to work? Can I hang out the wash on the Sabbath? Can, can, I, can I walk a certain distance? Am I allowed to, to put up Christmas lights on a Sunday? or uh, Can I, can I um, prepare a meal? That, that's kind of work, ladies, right? Cooking food for your family is it's work. Am I allowed to prepare a meal for my family on the Sabbath? These were some of the questions that they asked. And so there were rabbis down through the centuries, building up to the time of Jesus, who, who decided to come up with answers to these questions. And rather than just give guidelines or ideas, these suggestions begin to be written in stone. You can, in fact, you can go buy a Jewish Talmud today, and in there there's a section of that called the Mishnah, and you can read about all these prescriptions dealing with about every aspect of life. It's an expansion on the, on the Old Testament laws. Because they weren't content with them as God gave them. They had to flesh them out. They wanted detail. They wanted do's and don'ts. They wanted to know. And listen carefully. It starts off with the heart being in the right place. It started off with a desire to please God. That's a good thing, right? Wanting to do what's right. Wanting to obey God. see, Listen, the heart of the Pharisee, the heart of the legalist, usually starts off on the right foot. He starts off with a desire to please God. The problem is is that he goes about it in the wrong way. And very quickly loses the plot. And that's exactly what happened over years. They build up all these laws and traditions. Maybe some of you grew up in a church like that. There were all these do's and don'ts. Things you were allowed to do. Things you weren't allowed to do. I may remember some of them. I still remember talking to our pastor's daughter. And we invited her with the youth group to come to a movie one time. And she said, I'm not allowed to go to movies. And we said, really? I mean, it's, a, it's, like a, it's like a G. It's like a cartoon. We're just going to... What are you talking about? And she said, well, I'm not allowed to go to movies because if someone sees me coming out of the movie theater, they may not know what movie I went to. And they may think that I went to a rated R movie. And it could be a bad testimony. And so we just can't go to movies. Maybe you've experienced laws like that. I still remember the utter disappointment on the face of one of our deacons when I confessed to him that I was going to our homecoming dance. And just, I don't even think he said anything. I think he just put on this look like you have let me down, Jeremiah. I thought you were a spiritual leader in the youth group. I remember the disappointment as he shook his head and he walked away. Because in his mind, that was a grave sin. I was committing sin by going to prom. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you struggle with that even today. You know, we, I think that there are ways that we make rules and we try to impose them on others. Look down our nose at those who don't follow up and step in line. And that's where the Pharisees were today. You know, we need to be careful that we don't elevate our traditions to the point where they're equal with God's Word. We have to be, whether it's, whether it's in our own personal lives, whether it's in our church life, we need to be so careful that we don't let our traditions, the way that we're used to doing things, Come to the point where we say, this is the only way to do things. This is God's way of doing it. If the Word of God is silent on it, if the Word of God gives us freedom, let us not create bondage for ourselves and those with us. When traditions usurp the place of God's Word, the results can be spiritually catastrophic. And so, what we see next is the response of Jesus Jesus doesn't just brush them aside. He doesn't just say whatever and walk away. He wants to use this as an opportunity to teach. And so here's what he says to them. Well, in verse 6, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He calls them hypocrites. Jesus frequently calls the Pharisees hypocrites. He does it mostly in the book of Matthew. This is the only time he refers to them as such in the book of Mark. We need to understand, as we read Jesus' words this morning, these were the spiritual leaders in that culture. These were the people who, if anyone, they thought they had it together. They're the kind of people who would have been at church every day. Sunday for every service, they would have volunteered for any committee, any church work day, any Bible study. They would have been involved in everything. And chances are, if they were among us today, we would look up to them. Wow. Can you believe how much they do for the Lord? How devout, how pious they are. These are impressive people. That's what the average average Jewish person would have thought of the scribes and Pharisees. Wow. Parents would have brought their children and said, When you grow up, I want you to be just like Pharisee so-and-so. That is is the epitome of spirituality. And what Jesus comes and does is He wrecks the whole thing, the whole system. And He says, you who think you're the most spiritual, you who are supposedly leading these people, you don't know a thing about a true relationship with God. You, You can kind of understand... Why they got so angry, they wanted to kill him. Because he was was undermining everything that they had built. Their little kingdom. Their spiritually self-righteous world that they lived in. And Jesus said, those of you who think you're nearest to God are actually the farthest away from me. Jesus had a problem with this traditionalism for several reasons. See, in verse 6, he says, And these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Verses 6 and 7 are a quotation from Isaiah. He says, Your hearts are not near to God. Your actions make it look like you are, but inwardly you're not. One writer said that Jesus quotes a prophecy of Isaiah decreed against Israel of Isaiah's day, which had been religious in form, but not close to God in heart. The very thing the Pharisees prized as spiritual, their, their traditions derived from many pious and wise teachers who had tried to interpret and apply as God's law, Jesus claims is undercutting the plain message of God. Not only were their hearts far from God, verse 7 says, In vain do they worship me. Their worship was empty. I know that I've been guilty at times on Sunday mornings of standing here singing a song, reading the words on the screen, but my mind is somewhere else. It's distracted. That's empty worship. And what he's telling the Pharisees here is your whole life is like that. All of your worship, it's just ritual. You're just going through the motions. Every day is like standing at a worship service where you're reading the words on the screen, but your mind is somewhere else. You're, You're thinking about the. Cubs game from last night. You're thinking about the Lions game today or what's for lunch or what you have to do this week. That's, that's emptiness. And, and what he's telling the Pharisees is, he said, you guys have made an art out of this. It's not just a moment. It's not just being distracted for a moment during a song, but your whole life is a life of empty worship. Oh, may that not be said of us. He says in verse 8 that you've left the commandment of God you leave the commandment of God and hold it to the, to the tradition of men. He says in verse 9, He says you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God. In verse 13, you, th- you make void the word of God by the tradition you've handed down. You see a theme here? They are taking God's word and they say, Yeah, yeah, yeah I know it says that, but I need, I need a little bit more. Is incredibly dangerous. When we add to scripture, when we feel like it's not sufficient, whenever I flip on the television, three of the most dangerous words that I hear from, from television preachers is God told me dot dot dot. It always makes me nervous. Because here, Jesus is calling out the Pharisees for adding to the word of God. Listen, God told us, and it's right here. God has spoken, and it is between these covers. We don't need new extra revelation. We don't need to add to it. We just need to know this. If you want to hear from God, if you want God to speak to you, open up his word. Because he has spoken. And he calls the Pharisees out on adding to his word. And he says, by doing so, essentially you nullify the word. You make void the word of God. He gives them an example, just briefly, of how they've done this. He said, here's one of the ways you do this. They had a commandment in the Old Testament. Verse 10, Moses said, honor your father and mother. In another commandment, whoever reviles his mother and father shall surely die. So there's a biblical principle that was clearly laid out in the Old Testament that that we are to honor our father and mother. Again, it didn't spell that out, what all the details should look like. God just says, honor your parents. The Pharisees had a way around that, of taking care of mom and dad in old age. Because, you know... When you're trying to live your life as a middle-aged person, you've got, you've got your resources. You want to do your own thing. You want to be living your life. And so they wanted to justify their selfishness. And so at the, at the point when their parents got a certain age and could not take care of it themselves, they, they didn't have 401ks and that sort of thing. And and, and and the parents would need to rely on the children to take care of them. Often parents would move in with them and 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 would help and, and, the, and the adult children were supposed to take care of those parents who were no longer able to work for themselves. But they had this tradition that they called Corbin. And what it did was allow them to dedicate their possessions to God. But while they were alive, they were still able to use them themselves. And then when, it, when they passed away, it went on to the, to the temple or to be used in the Lord's service. And so what they would do then is their parents might come to you and they would, they would say, Hey, I need some help. Do you have some cash? And, and you've got a wad of cash sitting there on the table. Everybody sees it. They'd be able to say, Corbin, sorry it's been dedicated to God. I can't help you. Sorry you're out of luck. You know, go check the social security office or whatever. And they'd be able to make it look spiritually. Oh, oh, I dedicated this to God. I've set it aside for the Lord. I'm sorry, mom and dad. I can't help you with it. He says, you've taken this tradition that looks spiritual. Oh, you gave it to God. But in reality, You're just trying to get out of having to obey God's word that says, honor your mother and father. He says, this is the kind of stuff you do. You nullify the word of God by your traditions. So Jesus is very, very clear and very, very strong in his statements on how he feels about traditionalism. Again, traditions in and of themselves are not bad. But when they take the place of the Word of God or when they are elevated to the status of the Word of God, that's where the dangers come in. And you may have a tradition that you think is important for your family. You may have a tradition that you think is good even for other people to follow. Let me give you an example. Maybe you've decided in your effort to maintain sexual purity during your dating years, that you're not going to kiss your girlfriend or fiance until you're married. Now that may sound extreme and that's whatever, I'm just giving an example. But you felt like, like you need that, that, that barrier there to help you maintain sexual purity. That's Okay. Jesus is not speaking against that. But here's where it becomes a problem. You're on a double date, and the two couples are getting ready to finish dinner. You've, You've paid the bill, and everybody's getting ready to go home. And as you're walking to your car, you look over and see the other couple getting ready to get in their car, and he gives her a kiss before he opens his door for her. And you gasp. And you grab your girlfriend and say, can you believe what they just did? They kissed. They're not married. They can't kiss. And all of a sudden now, you begin passing judgment on them. You, you had this, this rule or this tradition that you felt like is helping you and your, your girlfriend maintain some purity. And it's, it's, it's a decision that you've made together. But all of a sudden now, you're judging them. And now you're, you're feeling Like this holy righteous anger, like I've gotta I've gotta help my brother before I mean he's gonna by tomorrow he's gonna have her pregnant and there's gonna be STDs. I gotta step in here. And so you you call him over for coffee and you proceed to rebuke him and tell him how he's in sin and he needs to repent. Whoa, 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 whoa. What started off as maybe, maybe a, not a bad idea for you and your girlfriend, you felt like it was necessary, and all of a sudden now, you've added to the Word of God, you've elevated it to Scripture, and now you're preaching it and rebuking others for not falling in line with what you think is necessary. So how do we avoid this kind of thinking? That may have been an extreme example, but how do we avoid that kind of thinking that falls, that, that, would, that could cause us to fall in to holding and elevating traditions to the point of God's Word. Just three brief application, for, application points. First of all, remember your heart. Remember your heart. Listen to me this morning. God is after your heart. He is not after rituals. He doesn't want to see you just go through the motions. He wants you to, He wants your heart. He told the the Israelites in Deuteronomy 6, 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. The Lord said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7, as as Samuel was looking for the, the next king, he said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, but looks on the outward. Uh, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God was rejecting Saul, who looked very kingly, but inwardly had, had no substance. And he says, "You know what? God looks on the heart." And then David said to his son Solomon in First Chronicles twenty eight nine. And you, Solomon, my son, know that the God, of your fa- know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. God wants your heart. He's not just looking for outward conformity. Parents, this is so important as we raise our children. Raising children with good manners, dress nicely on Sunday morning, that, that's all well and good. But don't be deceived by outward appearance. Get to the heart. God is after their heart. You should be too. And God's after our hearts, not just outward conformity. Secondly, we need to stick to Scripture. We need to stick to Scripture. When Jesus was speaking to many of these religious leaders over and over and over throughout the Gospels, he will frequently say, It is written. He went back to the Word of God. He pointed them to the Scriptures. Even though he's God himself, he can speak authoritatively, and he did. But he constantly pointed them back to the Word. And that's what we need to do. Come back to the Word. Come back to the Word. Come back to the Word. Are these traditions, are the things that I'm doing, are they in line with the Word? Am I elevating these to the point of Scripture? And they should be just, they're okay, but they should be just just I need to remember their traditions. They're not the Word of God. Stick to Scripture. Frequently ask yourself, is this a command of God or a tradition of mine? And then finally, know your Father. Know your Father. See, none of these religious leaders, if you comb the pages of the Gospels, I've not found anywhere where any of the scribes, any of the Pharisees, Any of these religious leaders referred to God as their father. They saw him as the the sovereign big boss in the sky. The one that they had to keep happy. Listen, the Old Testament and the New Testament too makes it clear that God is the sovereign ruler of all things. But he's also said that we can draw near to him and call him Abba. And bring our requests to him. God is interested in a relationship. Relationship. And if you're going to have a relationship with someone, it's just common knowledge that you have to know them. So spend time knowing your Father. Desiring to please your Father, not through outward conformity of rules and regulations, but through desiring to know Him. Know Him. If you've never seen Fiddler on the Roof... I encourage you, if you've got about four hours to set aside somewhere, see Fiddler on the Roof. As you watch that, you you see Tevye wrestle throughout the movie as some of his traditions are being removed from his life. And as he tries to figure out how to navigate life, he says, if we don't have these traditions, we're as shaky. And he points as a Fiddler on the Roof. You know, maybe some of you today will feel like that as you step back and, and, and ask the Lord, God, help, help me to see, where, where are traditions in my life that are just, I'm elevating to the point of Scripture, and they, they shouldn't be. And maybe God will begin to reveal them to you and, and, and kind of kick them out one after the other, as he does to Tevye in the movie. And maybe you'll feel shaky, maybe you'll feel like this, this, this life is too unstable without these safeguards. Remember relationship. Remember that God's after your heart. Remember that He wants you to draw near to Him. And even in the uncertainty of the moment, even in in your frustration at, at trying to navigate life without these traditions, God cares that you're struggling with that. God cares. And He wants to even use this time of conviction and pruning to draw you closer to Him. Don't let the traditions in your life turn toxic. Go to Scripture and know your Father. Draw near to His heart, because that's what He desperately wants. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open up Your Word this morning, we see that the danger in worshiping You without our heart coming before You. And we know that we can go through the motions I know it because I've done it. Some of us know how the game is is played and we can say the right things to impress people. We can dress the right way. Be involved in the right programs. Be signed up for Bible studies. And yet there be emptiness on the inside. Oh God, just please, please reveal that this morning. If I have a brother or sister here today, Who's been living their life like that? Give them eyes to see and help them to to understand that, that you want today to be a new day, that you want their heart. You want them to draw close to you so that they can know what it is to truly worship and walk in the freedom that's found only in Christ. And it's in His name.